Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. My name is Joseph Velarde, and I will serve as your host. In 2004, I moved from the Atlanta area to what's called the Lehigh Valley, which consists of Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton. And I like to say that I was born and raised in Atlanta, but that the Lehigh Valley made me into the man that I am. And it's such a special, special place the Lehigh Valley is. And it's my hope throughout our time together as we journey with others from all kinds of walks of life that we'll come to discover what I've learned over the years, just how special the Lehigh Valley is and that we together will have a vision for the valley. This vision actually was what led me to start a church called Riverbend Community Church in 2009 with a group of friends. And I so believe in the potential of the Lehigh Valley. It's my hope that we can draw awareness and attention to all that's here, all the incredible things that are happening here and all the ways that different people are doing different things to make it the best place it can be. And so in this podcast, you're going to hear from all kinds of people as I interview them and you hear their own experience and them sharing their stories. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping for each and every one of us, we'll see that we have a place in this story that will lead us to have a vision for the valley. Hey, well, we're so glad you are here with us for another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm so excited to have my friend, Ed Hanna, joining us today. And Ed and I have known each other for the last couple of years. Uh, we met about three years ago, I was believe. It three? I thought it was more than that. Maybe it's more than that. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember Joey exactly. V, you don't remember the first time we met? What were, where was the first time we met? I, th- I think actually the first time we met was at Wegmans. Boom. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Wegmans on Tillman so. Street. Um, so we have a mutual or was friend. was it at Lehigh University? Remember when you no, came to speak at no, AK came? I don't know. Right, no, sorry. it wasn't at Lehigh University because you weren't there the first time I spoke at Lehigh. Oh, I might have been on sabbatical. Yeah, I think oh, you were right. on sabbatical. Oh, sorry. All right. So back to the, yeah, we sorry. met we met at the uh, the Wegmans on Tillman Street, and then throughout the last couple of years, we uh, formed an incredible friendship. So grateful for him. Ed actually serves as the area director for Lehigh Valley Crew, which is on the college campuses here in the Lehigh Valley, specifically on the campus of Lehigh, Kutztown, 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 and El Tri-C. El Tri-C, uh, Penn State, well. Lehigh Valley, Muhlenberg, Moravia. We, we want to get on every campus. But on Greg every campus. And then I affectionately refer to him as Chaplain Ed as well, because he <laughs> serves as the chaplain of the Iron Pigs, uh, which is the AAA baseball team for the Phillies right here in the yes, Lehigh sir. Valley. And so we like to say oink, oink, oink. Oink, uh, oink baby. Oink, oink, yep. Uh, but we are excited, uh, again, to have Ed with us. So, Ed, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in the Lehigh Valley. Um, went to Freedom High School, where The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, went. Um, you look a lot like him. I as do. Far as, the, know, yeah, the, the muscles. The muscle, muscle yeah, tone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I've yeah. heard that a lot. Um, <laughs> Grew up Do in the Lehigh Valley. Do you smell what Ed's got cooking? <laughs> Do you smell? Uh, sorry. Uh, grew up in the area and was not a believer, um, was not a Christian. Uh, we were doing our own thing. Uh, grew up in the church, um, but it was more of a social thing. It was more of just kind of the right thing to do, going to church. and um, It wasn't necessarily a part of my life. Uh, went to Penn State University. And sophomore year in college, the girl I was dating became a Christian through crew, actually, at Miami of Ohio. She shared the gospel with me. 
I was like, what in the world happened to my girlfriend? I don't know what's going on. Uh, we broke up for four years. Well, turns out I ran into her. She's from the Lehigh Valley as well. Ran into her on one of our times back in the area. And through that relationship, really, God used that to bring me to himself. So it's funny. We've uh, Both my wife and I were not believers, though we grew up in this area. We've come back here as... Uh, as full-time missionaries, which is almost comical because we would have never dreamt that as we were growing up in the area. So, so yeah, so we've been um, launching. We launched, my wife and I were the team leaders. We launched Lehigh Valley Crew six years ago, I believe it was. Six years ago, we just started at Lehigh. We had one contact, no contacts at Kutztown, and just walked on campus and said, all right, Lord, what are you going to do? And um, God, through his grace, raised up men and women who caught a vision for this ministry on these campuses. And um, we're thankful. We're excited about where God's leading us and what he's done over the last six years. And hmm. yeah, it's been a fun journey. So I wanted to ask you, what if you could just tell people, like, what is Lehigh Valley Crew? Like, what is Crew yeah. in general? Like, what are you guys about? What do you do? So Crew Global is massive. Um, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe it is the largest evangelical Christian organization in the world. Um, Maybe 25,000 staff, massive. So underneath the crew umbrella, you have different ministries like the Josh McDowell ministry, he's crew staff, Um, Athletes in Action, the Jesus film that they've translated into like thousands of different languages, This the Gospel of Luke, and show Mm -hmm. it in far-off villages. and um, Beautiful ministry to be involved in. And for us, our particular lane is the campus ministry. And um, the original vision of the founder of Crew, Bill Bright, his, his vision was, well, if you, if you reach the college campus today, you're going to reach the world tomorrow because these men and women are tomorrow's leaders. Hmm. All these men and women who are walking around on campus, all of tomorrow's leaders funnel through the campuses. So if we can uh, bring gospel ministry and influence on the campuses, well, we're going to help change the world in the coming years. So that's Crew Global for us in the area. Um, our, our, our vision statement is crew is a diverse community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women to a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. And, and I think part of my vision is that the Lehigh Valley would be this sending ministry, would be this place where people come and be equipped and their hearts would be captured by Jesus' love and that he would then send them out wherever he might take them, whether it's into the surrounding communities of the Lehigh Valley or whether it's international students going back home, hmm. um, that this would be a great sending place for, for kingdom influence around the world. So it's yeah, really cool. I, w- I wanted to ask you too, Ed, as you think about starting something like that, you know, and just you and I talk often about the starting process and then continuing to move forward. What were some of the... Uh, just even learnings that you had starting something from scratch, because right. really you literally did that and you've done it right. a couple of times now. But what are some of the things that if someone's, whether they're doing <clears throat> a ministry, like as far as like a vocational ministry or even the startup on, in a business area or entrepreneurship or what are yeah. just some of those those tips that you would encourage people just to consider or learnings that you've had over the years yeah. of doing it? I remember my my father-in-law, he was in the Air Force, and he would often say, uh, I think he would say, flexibility is the key to air power. Hmm. Like, you just need to be able to, in that military scenario, be able to adjust, course correct. You just don't know how things are going to start happening once the bullets start flying. And in the same way, I came from Penn State University, and that ministry had been established for 
40 plus years at the time. And in many ways, it created a template for where we wanted to go and a vision for what we wanted to see. But we needed to try to avoid forcing that template on our ministry too soon. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways, um, I almost think about building a fire. You know, Mm -hmm. you you throw too many logs on early on and the thing's going to smother. But if you you know, put some kindling and you blow it a little bit and you give it some air, like it's just, it it will catch, but it takes some time. And I think for me being um, a visionary and a planner and and I I get excited about where I think we're going to go, but I just, I need to be willing to say, all right, Lord, this is not my timing, but it's your timing. Mm -hmm. And and we want to be responsive to how he leads. And if it's just, let's just throw a twig on it right now. We're not going to worry about putting this big infrastructure in place. That's fine. And we're going to trust him in the process of building this thing. So I think that's that's one of the big things that I've learned with my personality and my history of building things from nothing. Not be too quick to to force a vision on something that's that's not quite there yet. But yeah. what are some baby steps that can help get us there? Well, that's really good. I, I like what you said too, even about remaining flexible. I think that was one of the the early learnings that I had, even as we started Riverbend, is just that. You know, there's a way that you want it to go, but then there's a reality of how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And being able to adjust as, necess- as it's necessary to those changing realities while still holding on to the vision that you have and have been given. And also, I like your fire analogy because I, I do think, you know, to have a fire that goes beyond just the initial flame. Anybody can do that, right? Like anybody can have an initial burst, but we're talking about building a fire that's going right. to going to last and sustain and i think we in our culture and and it doesn't matter where you are like whether you are someone who's in the you know ministry sector if that's your vocation you know whether it's a church or a ministry leader like ed on on cruise campus or you know or the different campuses through crew or you know in the business setting as well we can get so caught up in um, really trying to see growth happen in an instant and really get trying to measure out things that really um, aren't going to necessarily dictate whether we've been successful or not, because those are short-term games. And mm-hmm. so we need to really have a long-term thinking about our overall vision. Like, how are we measuring success? Because oftentimes success isn't going to look like what everybody else's vision mm-hmm. of success is. Right. And I think that's where we, you know, we've talked often about this, Ed, just even staying so close to Jesus mm-hmm. to hear, hey, what, what do you say? Of me, what do you have for me? When do you want me to do it? How do you want me to do it? Yeah. Do you want me to, you know, wait? Right. Do you want me to, to say no to yeah. this? You know, like all those types of things. I mean, I think that's where there's so many. I mean, we could we could have a, a three or four part podcast on that and how um, our personalities, our walks with Jesus, our skill sets influence how we bring about leadership. Because I think you're right. Like even in someone's insecurities, like my own, we all have them. Of like, okay, if my identity is built on the success of this ministry or the amount of people who are coming to the church or the Bible, whatever it is, it's like that can uh, that can force us into decisions that it feels it almost feels utilitarian, where mm-hmm. you're using the ministry or people or maybe your business for the sake of bringing about more confidence in myself, yeah. and it's like, man, that's not what God's calling me to, and and if it means that the the ministry or the business or whatever is successful, but it's maybe not what I originally thought it was going to be, that I can rest 
mm-hmm. in where Jesus has me and be faithful yeah. where I'm at. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 interesting how our our backgrounds, our insecurities, our our clinging to Jesus in the midst of it, whether we're business owners or whether we're ministry leaders, that it, you really need. I mean, even baseball players. Last night we were talking about um their desire to get to the big leagues. And in many ways, you can be discontent and restless with where God has you, and you may never get there. But if it, if if you stay in that place, um, it's almost like how did we put this? Um, when you put so much time, affection into this one thing of making it to the big leagues, almost creating it like a like a false god in some ways. Mm. Um, you're putting a burden on this thing, baseball, ministry, whatever, that it was never meant to bear. Hmm. That was only meant for God to bear, to rest my identity, my my soul in, and not put it into a game or a ministry success. Hmm. And I feel like coming out of that deep-rootedness, it affects how we lead. It affects yeah. Yeah. business choices. It affects yeah. the day-to-day operations, you know? Yeah, I had a friend recently <clears throat> say to me, his name's been Tugwell, he's... In North Carolina, and he said, you know, a lot of times people go into, and he was talking specifically into t- church planning context because they find approval from people. Like it was right. one, one of the first things they were really good at, and people affirm that in them. And then the other reason is to escape, escape the life that they once knew and mm-hmm. had. And I think we all can relate to the, that statement. And he said that the trick is not necessarily being dishonest about those those right. things, but to recognize, hey, these are things in me. So what's the shadow side of those things? And I think part of that is to misunderstand success. And and I think just to clarify, even if you're thinking of that word success, we often think it's bigger and better and more. Right. Uh, but Jesus actually would say the measure of success is how faithful you were to what I asked you to do. And when we're faithful to that, Yes, we'll see fruit, but we don't know how much. We don't know what it's going to look like. Right. Uh, but I think understanding that at the end of the day, he's not going to say, even well done, good and fruitful servant, or well done, good and famous servant, or well done, <laughs> uh, you know, put in whatever right. the thing is you're looking right. to. Uh, well done, big league uh, servant. You know, he, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. And I think if yeah. we can get to the point of understanding the power of faithfulness and how much uh, we gain in our own selves the fr- the freedom it is to know like right. hey this this faithfulness isn't a resignation to uh, mediocrity mediocrity at <laughs> right. all but rather it's saying hey I'm going to be faithfully engaged to what you've invited me you've called me to what you right. have for me and really this podcast even the reason we started it part of it was there's two parts one is I, I am actually a pastor in the the community called Riverbend, our, our local church, but I'm also a pastor to the local community called Lehigh Valley. And part of me being faithful to that is saying, hey, how do we help people to really have a vision for the valley? And, mm-hmm. and, and that's why we have people like Ed on, because Ed clearly has that heartbeat and that, uh, that desire. And I think really staying faithful to what God's called us to, because when we're faithful, then we're, we're free to actually enjoy the journey. And I think sometimes when we feel like that we hear the word faithful, we're settling. Hmm. Um, but we're not settling. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're, what faithful means to follow through. Faithful means I'm going to show up. Faithful means I'm going to do exactly what I was asked to do, how I was asked to do it, and when he asked me to do it. I'm going to be faithful to that end. And, yeah. and when you, you know faithful people in your life. 
You know, those are the people you can count on. Oh, yeah. And, Very and much you know, so. so I don't know. What do you think about that idea of faithfulness? Well, I think that in our culture, and even my natural knee-jerk response is, uh, that's not a glamorous word. No. Nope. You know, uh, if, I, if, I, if, I asked, <laughs> yeah, if I asked you and Chris and the other pastors to kind of, you know, share with me my, my best gift, and you said faithful, I'd say crap. You know, I, I think in many ways that's just one of those things that is not glamorized, but... I think leading and being called into leadership positions, I think I've learned, what was, there was an article that talked about faithfulness, faithfulness is the new radical, Mm -hmm. I believe the article is called. And it talks about how, you know, in many ways in our culture, it's like, it's flipped where people love to go on these crazy adventures. People love to get out and go explore, go do things, change settings, go do, you know, chase after their dreams, which is great. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But in some ways, it has left us um, discontent hmm. to be willing to stay in the game yeah. and, and, and finish, in some ways, what we started. So, like, there's this radical nature right now in our culture of actually staying faithful. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, as a leader, those are the, those are the men and women, um, I feel like, God uses in unique and beautiful ways in our businesses, our communities, mm-hmm. um, whom they might be behind the scenes. They might not get as much attention, but, but um, many things would crumble without their attention, mm-hmm. their faithfulness behind the scenes. So anyway, I think it's so critical. Yeah, and I um, think it's, like you said, though, I think it's not glamorized, and I think right. it is hard. I, th- I think what you said was really good early on, too. I think it's dishonest to say that Ed and I don't still battle with uh, just being thinking that faithfulness is enough. Mm-hmm. I think that they're, yeah. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to project that, on that. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that the insecurity in, in me and the things that I've had to work through and continue to work through is to remember that I'm not actually responsible and I don't control outcomes. Right. I wish I did. Right. I, I want to, I want to, I want to, but I, I really don't. I only set the conditions right. and that's what faithfulness does. It just sets the conditions to really right. allow for God to work in the way He's going to work, right. you know, I think about what you're doing on the campus, you know, of, of Lehigh and, and Kutztown and all these other campuses. You're really just setting the conditions, you know. I, I think about what we're doing here at Riverbend. We're setting the conditions. We know what it is that we've been called to, but again, the results and the outcomes are out of our our hands right. in a lot of ways. We can only control the faithful part. And showing up and doing our part. And I know for you guys, that's a big part of even what you're looking for in leadership. I know that you guys are about faithful, available, teachable, teachable type of people. Yeah. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Like, yeah, it, well, it's my, called fat, right? Fat. Yeah, we. It's, it's a we, good fat. <laughs> it's a good way to be fat. Not pH fat. We no, want no, the no, no. Yeah, that, you're showing um, our age, right? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> fat. You're so fat. <laughs> <P-H-A-T>. <laughs> this, this podcast is fat. <laughs> um, we're bringing fat back. All right, go ahead. <laughs> um, I think one of the ways we see the gospel um, going out into our communities, and, and, and uniquely in my context on campus, and even in, the, in, in a team environment like the Iron Pigs, is that the reality is, is I can't invest in everyone out there. Um, I need to find the, the men and women who are going to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. And I also, I also say hungry. <laughs> they're fat and hungry. And they're hungry just to learn and grow. 
And uh, you might get someone who is gifted to the moon, but they just don't have the available time. Because let's be honest, leaders get asked to do everything everywhere. So oftentimes we run across men and women on campus and they're just, they're so booked. And we need to be really prayerful and thoughtful. And we, we, we look to Jesus as the model of this, of uh, he could have, he could have tried to gather the crowds and tried to disciple them. He could have tried to disciple everyone who followed him, but he didn't. He, he's put aside a unique 12, and even more specifically, an inner circle of three, to say, I'm going to invest and pour my life into these men, because though they're this ragged bunch who may not have been gifted mm-hmm. like others around them, they're going to be the ones that are faithful, available, and teachable to take this thing and grow the early church. And I think that's that's a model that we we hold to, is... How do we find men and women around us to pour our lives into mm-hmm. um, so that they would pour their lives into others around them? I mean, I, I often use this visual of the, you know what it's like at a kid's water park when you get those four or five buckets in a line and they fill and they spill out and it's just, you know, they're always going and they pour out in a little kid in the bottom. It's like, yeah, you know, but those buckets are on these hinges and they're never, they don't fill and just stay filled. They, they fill the spill. And they spill out to those buckets down the line. And I think that is a beautiful picture of, of Christian leadership, a biblical leadership, that we, as we fill up um, in God's word and the people around us in the local church, that we're going to be spilling out to the people around us. And I think that's the, the, the grid for me to make those decisions is the, the fat and hungry people, the faithful, available, teachable men and women around us. No, that's really good. I, I would say, too, even as... We've talked about this before. I think recognizing that if a move of God or movements or even, you know, in different uh, spheres of, of industry and work, it's really about the idea of leadership development. And, and we, you know, however you want to use that phraseology, like leadership development through the vehicle of discipleship, uh, but really the idea of intentionality and about right. figuring out, hey, who are the people around me right. who are faithful, available, teachable, who are... Who are the people who are displaying character? Mm-hmm. You know, who are who are have uh, chemistry. In other words, they work well with others. You know, is another right. way to look at that. And then competencies. But oftentimes, competencies get the the, the, the press. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, our competencies can only take us so far. But usually, our character is what hinders us right. from being able to sustain what's going on. And I think that as I've lear- learned, and we've talked about this. More And I, I read this great book, and I've told you about it, called Empowering Leadership by Michael mm-hmm. Fletcher, and really just about understanding the power of uh, investing and inviting people in and shoulder tapping is language right. he uses there. And even to demystify a bit of, hey, what, what does it mean to be a, a servant leader? Right. Like, how do, how do you go about that? But right. it's, again, for the, the heart of what's in the best interest of what the vision is that we're been entrusted with. So... When you are, you know, pursuing people who are faithful, available, teachable, it actually is for the good of the whole. Mm-hmm. It's, and I think a lot of times we miss that because we were like, oh, man, that's too narrow. Well, no, no, no. It's, it's not It's actually narrow. to serve the masses. Right. That's it's exactly to, right. Yeah. Right. It's to serve the masses. So when Jesus, you know, focused on those three or the 12, it was so that a move could take place. In light of place. the whole. That's right. After yeah. the fact of when he would die and then be buried and then be right. raised from the dead and leave the earth. You know, these, these men and women would carry on the DNA right. that was going on. And, and that's what's happened. You know, 2,000 yeah. years later, we're standing on 
the shoulders of what Jesus laid out, right. not only what he sacrificed as far as you know, what he did for the world, but also what he poured in to these group of, of individuals. Mm-hmm. And that's been um, you know, through the generations. It went viral, right? That's right. another way to say that. It went viral. So as we think about college students, I wanted to ask you, and by the way, just if you don't know the Lehigh Valley, uh, one of the things um, that Ed would help you to understand and I can speak into as well, there are a bunch of college campuses right here. And it's one of those things that I think people don't know. It's actually the area that we're in is the third largest area in the state of Pennsylvania. And we have several, several colleges around us. Uh, I think, what, what was the last count that uh, I was thinking it was around, what, what, do you know? The, there's, the, ten, there's 10 universities, 10 in, universities. in and around Lehigh yep. Valley. And the number of students, it's tough to it's tough right. to nail down because a community right. college isn't. I would say there's about thirty five to forty thousand students uh, on those ten schools. Yeah, that's right. um, not including the the part time one class that's being taken. You know, full time engaged students. That's crazy. So there's a lot of students. Yeah, there's a lot of students. So you've actually got a, a unique uh, vantage point too on what you're seeing with the, the this generation and the generations that are coming up. And so I wanted to to ask you, what are you seeing from from them? What are the things that would be helpful for us, even as we consider, hey, how do we walk alongside those who are in college and then those who are leaving college? Because right. I think there's been a lot of talk about that that demographic and people are right. trying to figure out how do you decode them? Man, right. like, you know, right. there's been all kinds of things written and talked about. Right. Um, and I just thought you had a unique vantage point too yeah. Because I know a lot of you who are, are listening, you may be in a setting where maybe you're a parent of, of one of them, or, or maybe you're an employer of one of them, you know, and, and you're trying to figure out, hey, how do I, how do I walk alongside them well? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, each campus is so uniquely different. So when yeah. we talk about college students, I think we put a, a broad swipe over them, but the college student that is at Lehigh is very different than the college student that is at the community college. Mm-hmm. Then is different than the, and they're different than the, the student at Kutztown University. So it's tough to put a broad sweep on on, on college students in general. But I think, um, and as I share this, I think I want to I want to stress that if there's concerns about some of these things that I'm sharing with the students, I think the flip side is I think there's an opportunity for God to step in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I'm seeing, and uh, you know, I don't have hard data on this other than my own personal experience, but I'm seeing that how technology and social media is affecting um, young students' ability to, to relate with others, mm-hmm. just to develop deep, meaningful relationships. I think you could have um, 1,500 followers on Instagram and Twitter, um, none of which know you really, and have had deep conversations. Hmm. So I think it, it feel it seems to me that there almost needs to be a retraining of how significant relationships are. Hmm. Um, I also see on a lot of these campuses um, mental health issues, a lot of them, struggling with anxiety and depression. I think the campus, I think there's probably lots of factors to this, but I think the campus puts a unique amount of stress on an 18-year-old to come in and say, all right, I want you to know your major and what you're going to be doing for the next 30 years. So get in line, figure this out when you're 18, which is crazy because I didn't. I, I was 26 when I changed my, changed my field. Like it, it just changes. You're 18. And um, 
you know, you have to take these classes and internships and everything in line to feel like you're succeeding in your career. So I think there's just this pressure that's put on them at such an early age um, to succeed, um, which again, pressure and success is not bad in any ways, but in excess, it can be, and it can be an incredibly um, unhealthy environment for our young men and women going to college. So I think, I mean, and the flip side of that is I think there's, there's opportunities because when I think of God's kingdom and I think of some of these visions we want to see happen in the community, in the valley, and on campus, I think in many ways foundational building blocks is relationships, right? Like whether it's discipleship, whether it's small group, community group, church, it's built on relationships that we're made in the, we're made in the image of a relational God. So in many ways, we have these same longings. One of the worst things you could do to us is put us in solitary confinement and isolate us. It's like, that's terrible. I don't want to even think about it. We need relationships. So I think these men and women, I think for us to come alongside them, I think at a young age, talk about how important it is to develop meaningful relationships Mm -hmm. and how important it is to continue that as they go to school and as they go into college. And maybe it would be getting involved into a, a ministry like Crew or InterVarsity or RUF, or, um, but to find significant relationships on campus that they can be themselves. Um, so I think there's some relational opportunities there, but it does. It feels like that's like you almost need to go back to ground zero and like retrain. Okay, this is why it's important to have someone who knows you and loves you and cares for you and supports you and accountability. Um, and I think even just with the mental health and some of that, I feel like, again, we bring a unique vantage point um, as crew and as people who believe Jesus is who he says he is. And because of that, it changes everything we do and say. Um, your identity no longer rests in your performance in the classroom anymore. That doesn't mean you don't work your rear end off and try to do well. But if, for whatever reason, God has for you to not succeed or not flourish in this area, you're going to be okay. And he has a good plan for you. So I think there's a unique way in which the gospel is going to intersect with these mental health anxiety issues to say, all right, like, especially for those kids who are Christians going to college, this is an opportunity to dig even deeper into trusting the Lord with where he has you on school and in in the classroom. So, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you, too. I know we've used this word a couple of times, but just even to help us understand what this word means. I know a lot of people may know or may not know the word discipleship. Yeah. Can you give in your your very best, uh, <laughs> I know it's a loaded question there. Can you give a definition that would help people to even understand what discipleship is? So discipleship, as I think of it, and I'd love for you to fill in because you've got a lot of wisdom in this too. When I think of it, I think of, I usually use the term there's two different ways I see broadly it's it's used in in Christianity. One being, we are all disciples of Jesus. Yeah. We we are followers of Him. So in many ways, discipleship is, um, what does it look like for me to follow Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's getting into the Bible. It's self feeding. It's finding men that I can surround myself with. Um, That is discipleship in that I'm becoming more of a disciple and I'm following Jesus and walking with him and others alongside of it. Um, There's another way we use discipleship uniquely on campus, and I think lots of Christians use this as well, is that it would be this one-on-one or one-on-three, that there is a... 
there's a relational, I think you used the word earlier, intentionality that like, okay, this is not simply a counseling session mm-hmm. or this is not simply a hangout. Like I'd love to just hang out with you and chat, which is fun. Let's do that. But discipleship is let's bring something else to the table. Let's, let's bring some biblical content. Let's talk about how it applies to our lives. It might be you and me one-on-one. It might be three, four of us together, but biblical content that renews our minds, that helps transform us into the likeness of Jesus. Um, and, and I think there's a minish, there's a relational component, obviously. We're not going to just get into the Word, and, and we're not going to talk about our hearts or our lives or our interests. We want we to get each other's, we want to get to know each other's inner workings. Yeah. Um, but then the third component I think is often left out is ministry and that we would actually be practicing like, what does it look like to not just be face to face in discipleship, but be shoulder to shoulder and actually doing things together? How do we serve? How do we engage others in the community? Um, love them like Jesus loves them. Maybe it's in word, maybe it's in deed. So I think when I think of discipleship, um, as far as the intentional meeting time, I think of the, the ministry, the, the biblical content and the and the relational content. Yeah. But I think that that, that word is tricky, even as I, I'm smiling as you're asking me the question, because it's used in lots of different ways in Christendom. Um, but that's usually how I use it, yeah, that no. intentional building yeah. into each other. Well, I would say, I think there's like a real, about the intentional building into one another um, that's relational and moves to just from us or the group of us to serving something more than yeah. just what we're doing. Yeah. And I think it also has within it, as we've talked about early on, the viewpoint of multiplication. Right, it's the fill the spill. Yeah. Right. Like so, we're not gonna. Yeah. We're not the end of this. We're not the bottleneck of this. We're actually seeing this multiply. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of my friend, who's the producer and the engineer of Vision for the Valley podcast, who works out with with guys on a, a daily basis, Christopher Dean. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's the man. He's he's a beast. Uh, but he, you know, they they work out on a weekly or daily basis. And after you know, during that workout, there's intentionality. They, they're it, talking. Right? Yeah. yeah, they're talking to with each other. They're sharing scripture with one another. They're praying together. But then that's led to them to serve the men of our church through a men's breakfast that happens twice a month. You know, and those men are involved in that. And they're looking at hey, even as one of them is going to be moving uh, to Kansas City. Uh, you know, he's looking at, hey, man, when I move, how can I start something like this with, when I hit the ground? Yeah, it's beautiful. And and it's a beautiful picture of what happens. And I think if we can get back to the, the principles of it and then really look at, hey, who am I? What am I doing? And who can I bring into those spaces? And that can be a variety of ways that we do it. But I think a lot of times people don't know how to practice intentionality. And so we can overcomplicate it. And be like, oh, it's got to look like this. The mechanics and techniques. Right, yep. right. Like yep. it's got to look like, well, no, it, it can look a lot of ways. It can mm-hmm. look like playing Frisbee golf. Yep. It can look like going to the gym. It can look yep. like uh, Ed and I, we're going to watch some football together and we're going to be intentional at certain points to talk and talk about yep. our lives and and share scripture and pray. And, and all those things can be a part of it. And what's beautiful about that is it, it takes out not only the complexity of it, but also the, hey, I got to add something more into my schedule. Well, yes, you have to add the thought of others in, but it's already something you're going to be doing. Yeah. And so there's a lot of ways you can do it, but I think that's one of the most freeing parts of it is to know, hey, we don't have to get so caught up in the mechanics. Right. Is this because the this... gears get jammed when that... you start like getting caught up in all the mechanics? Like, am I doing this right? It's just like 
actually just be yourself. That's right. And, and pull people into it. Yeah, that's right. The, the intentional nature. So because yeah. I because I think there's a par- we can get paralyzed by mm-hmm. it. And I think even too about your other thought on achieving in greatness, which goes to what we talked about early on too about faithfulness, and even in the classroom. I think one of the things that's really important that we don't uh, lose sight of is that Jesus really was about greatness. He really was about us having and pursuing greatness. He just changed the definition of greatness. As our Amanda says in The Way of the Warrior, mm-hmm. he says that he, he didn't say don't be great. He said that if you're going to be great, you're going to be a servant. servant. Yep. <laughs> so he was never like, he never said, hey, don't, don't pursue greatness. Because I think that's what a lot of times I hear followers of Jesus say, no, I don't want to be great. You know, and that's not what, you know, Jesus said, don't be great. Right. No, Jesus didn't say don't be great. Right. He said that the definition of greatness is when we serve. When, we're, when we say, hey, how can I utilize what I've been entrusted with to give to others? And I think that changes the way we view what we go about doing and how we go about doing it. Because then it, it causes us not to have a false sense of humility because this is not like, oh, I got nothing to offer. You know, you've heard people say that, right? right? But then the other side of it, which is, hey, how can I leverage what I have for my gain? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not greatness either, according to Jesus. Right. Greatness is, no. How can I use what I've been given to serve others as Jesus has served me? Mm-hmm. And we see that throughout Scripture, him, him do that again and again, which just kind of made me think about even what we're striving for as we seek to achieve things. Right. I mean, and then I think of even that, like going down to the core of, do I want to, oftentimes when I'm getting in front of people or speaking, I have to remind myself, Jesus, I want to make much of you and not much of me. Right. And I think as a servant leader, just to, that, I feel like that is almost ground zero of like, yeah. Let me make much of you rather than me. And, and in light of that, I'm gonna I'm not gonna leverage for self gain. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna leverage for how to make myself advance or more power or gain. It's it's about his kingdom and serving people around me. So it, yeah, it's a helpful framework to think as a leader. Yeah, because I just think that even as we're trying to wrestle with how do we walk alongside this next generation, well, a couple of things you said that I think really are key. Um I just kinda wanna get your thoughts on this idea. I, th- I think we need to have spaces where we model the way of getting away from having our phones out constantly. And it's one of the, the things I'm trying to grow and I'm not great at. I, I think all of us are learning how to, how to do that. But even with my son, who's three, I'm trying to really get away from having my phone out when I'm with him. My yeah. wife is my accountability partner on it, and she's really good to be like, hey, can we please not have our phones out when Ray's up? And he's around, and we're hanging out with him. And while he's three years old, I think that that same mindset for each other and even for those college students, because a lot of times when you look at screen time, they've connected actually the mental health issues Mm. with screen time. They've said that because you're always on the screen, it, it messes your brain. You're looking for this dopamine release. And when you don't get the likes and the shares and the invitation right. and you're, the fear of missing out overtakes you, it, it creates a barrier between you and the people right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And even the anxiety that you feel like right now, if I was having my phone out and you know I'm talking to you, Ed, they, they've said that that naturally comes across like I'm disinterested right. disinterested yep. in you. Yep. And it causes anxiety within you. What's wrong with me that they don't have time to like actually engage me? Right. And I think if we're going to walk alongside each other and even the next generation, I, th- I think part of it, we have to model the way of have a, how to have a healthy relationship with our smartphone. Mm-hmm. How do we get away from saying, hey, you know what? While this is a gift, 
it's not everything. Right. It can actually hinder me from engaging in the gift of my life mm-hmm. and, and hold me back from really being able to walk with people well. And I just, I would really encourage you to consider as you're listening to this podcast, what is your relationship like with your phone? Like, how are you, what are you communicating with the people around you about their value and their worth? Have you thought about taking a phone Sabbath? You know, there's a great article in the New York Times about this guy who did a phone breakup. Mm. And he did a phone breakup because he was saying, seeing how much it was impacting his life. And, yeah. and this is not a self-serving thing like, oh, I'm going to be different, so I'm breaking up my phone. I don't want to be like the rest of the world. No, it's really about, hey, how do I have a healthy rhythm with that? Right. Because we have to model that towards uh, those that are coming alongside us because we really set the, the conditions in a lot of ways, as Simon right. Sex says. So a lot of times those conditions of anxiety and, and the fact that, the people that are coming into the workforce do have mental health issues that they're wrestling with, anxiety, depression. They don't know how to really engage apart from their phone. We've got to lovingly show them the way. A lot of them have not been mentored in any way. A lot of times the things I see in people's lives, which really gets back to this discipleship conversation, is no one showed them another way. Mm -hmm. They're, They're trying to figure it out. Like a lot of them, you know, and I know Ed and I have talked about this before, but you know, even in my own life, like I had to learn about really what does it mean to be a man, you know, and I'm grateful that my dad's back in my life, but for a long time he wasn't. And so I've, I've had to kind of walk blindly, so to speak, you know, and I think that picture is what a lot of people are doing. They're walking blindly in the importance of really us walking alongside them Mm -hmm. really well and not in a Hey, I'm going to mentor you <laughs> kind of way, but right. uh, which is very, you know, prideful and, and kind of pompous yeah. and arrogant, but rather at a humble position as a servant leader. Hey, how can I take interest? How can I take, how can I notice, mm-hmm. you know, this other person? How can I help them in what's called the messy middle, mm-hmm. which we all are in? You know, we, we often get the beginning and the end, but there's a whole middle part that's allowing right. us to be where we currently are that I think is really important. Well, I think... I think even, I don't know how many of your listeners have heard of your story with your father, but I feel like your father, your relationship with your father, I think provides us with a unique vantage point of how maybe we need to be approaching our youth, um, college students, whatever. I think, I think of you with your father, I feel like there's a, there's a uniqueness of like once you get proximate to someone who's maybe been away from you for a while there's a you're opening yourself up to maybe some hurt mm-hmm. or some pain yeah. and i've heard rosaria butterfield um once say she uh she was a syracuse professor um advocate for lgbt uh feminist rights she was very much against christianity hostile and um she had a, a man just invest in her and over the course of time she gave her life to Jesus and because of that it just it it changed the way she looked at things and she looked at him through a different lens but um, as she talks about Christians engaging conversations with LGBT because there's a unique relationship there I think LGBT right uh, wrongly has been hurt by many many Christians hmm. um, that uh, what she would say is, is as Christians, to be able to engage men and women from this community, you need to get so proximate, so close that you can grab the hand, their hand and touch them and place their hand in the Savior's hand. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it's going to get messy. 
and it's going to hurt and you might have some uncomfortable conversations and there might be yeah. some pain. Yeah. And I think of that almost what you are with your father. And I mm-hmm. think in some ways that's often what happens on college campuses too. Listen, like if I'm operating from a biblical worldview and I'm evaluating every student's comments and maturity levels through that, clearly there's going to be a lot of ways in which Heck, I, I, if I was 18, I, I, I could have been really <laughs> critiqued as to, yeah. like, where I stand as far as uh, maturity and growth. But, like, to be able to say, it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. we want to come alongside you. And I'm not going to say you're wrong or right. I'm just going to, like, it's going to be a slow, steady, like, influence. And I think mm-hmm. when we think about the next generation, to not feel like we've got to force or impose Christian values on a non-Christian heart and mind yet. Like, how do we come alongside them, love them like Jesus does, and in the right time as the Spirit leads, like, maybe put some little nuggets out there. Have you considered this? Have you, have you yeah. even thought about this? Yeah. And I think that that can be messy. No, <laughs> you know, It can I, be a little tricky. And I do think you said it really well. It is messy, and it is hard, because I think when you're laying yourself on the line like Jesus did, yeah. know, literally, he laid everything out, right? And... I, I know from my own vantage point, you know, even with my dad, it was, it's been a real gift in 2009. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but we reconciled after not seeing him since 1997. And there's a whole story with that. And, um, but as I, I pursued that, I think realizing while it was a gift to him, it was a gift to me to be able to understand some of the things within me that, you know, that are deeply, um, they were deeply wounded from from that relationship and drivers to how I would live my life. But as I got closer and closer to them, and and we've gotten to know each other, um, you know, there, there are times where I don't understand some of the things he says or does or, or why he's coming from that vantage point. But I think to show up and to stay faithful right. and, and to watch him even show up and stay faithful, to watch him make intentional strides, like whether that's coming up for just the weekend. He lives in the Atlanta area just to come to celebrate my son's birthday. Right. Um, I mean, that stuff, I mean, as a father, that stuff means so much to me. And then to watch him even recently say things like, I'm proud of you. Please forgive me. I love you. You know, I'm not going to try to explain away what happened, but I'm just going to tell you I'm sorry because I know there's a lot of hurt that's come in your life. Um, And I just just want you to know that I love you. And I'm, I'm proud of the man that you've become. And then just even how that's made me come closer to him and say, hey, I want to get to know my family. I want to I want to meet my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents and my cousins. And all that proximity really has led that. But when you start taking a, mo- a move closer, you allow the other person to move. And we just keep dancing a little bit in a good way. And it's not all roses and rainbows, no. right? Like that you're telling the, the good side, the beautiful right. part of that right. gift. But there are those moments when it's like there's rejection and right. it's frustration. You don't understand. And it's right. like... And it's easy to hit the eject button and say, I'm out because I want to self-protect and I really don't want to open myself up to this. But to be able to stay faithful, going back to our faithful thing and engage and proximate, I feel like it it does. It helps us receive that gift in a unique way. Yeah, and I think think you said it right. I mean, it wasn't all sunshines and and butterflies and roses and rainbows (laughs) and all those things. It was being okay with like, hey, that's painful. How do I process that stuff? Being able to to really address that because as you get the proximity part, there's going to be pain that comes right. and you got to do something with the pain. Right. You know, we were, me and my sister were talking about this today about being rejected by some, some of her, what she thought were her friends mm. and just how hard that was and rumors that were said and things that were just hurtful and really being able to, 
to walk with her through that and be like, well, it's okay that you come on the other side of that, but it's okay to be honest with, hey, that was really painful and that hurt. And let's talk about that and right. know that you aren't rejected, right. that you are loved. Even if they rejected you, I want you to know I love you yeah. as your older brother and your heavenly father deeply loves you. And to be able to speak those words over other people is important too, because I think we're learning how to process our own pain. So as we as we think about, speaking of college students, what, what excites you? And what concerns you? And maybe you felt like you already hit the concern part about the next generation. What, what's exciting you? Um, you know, I think I think one of the things that's exciting, and I see glimpses of this on campus, is that I think the campus and the students' concerns very much line up with kingdom concerns, too. Hmm. Um, if it's value and dignity to every human being. You know, if it's social justice issues, mm-hmm. injustices around the world that yeah. they're very passionate about, and we should be passionate about too. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a unique intersection there um, that, honestly, in many ways, the secular atheistic mind, worldview, I feel, I feel like fails. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's a strong statement. Um, Bold statements. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like, you yeah. know, if, if we believe, if, if I'm an atheist and I believe it's just natural selection, the strong eat the weak, it's random kind of muta- Like, I, I don't see where the worldview of value and dignity to every human being, I don't think there's a sacredness to the human if it's on a secular mindset. But I think if we're thinking about a biblical perspective of being made in the image of God, that changes things. Every human being, man, women, ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Every, every human being yeah. is made in the image of God and that there is a unique dignity and value there and that we um, can get behind those things, mm. even if they're not Christian initiatives. I don't care. It's a, it's, it's a, that's a kingdom cause, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think that's, a, that's an opportunity that's exciting that I see on campuses. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think the I hit on the concern earlier. I think the the, yeah. the tend towards isolation, yeah. especially in the midst. If you if you if you join the isolation and the mental health, anxiety, depression stuff, that can be a dangerous combo. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're not sharing these things with others, um, I, I just I fear what can happen to some of these students. Yeah, and I think that that concern, by the way. Is not just a college campus right, concern. Yeah, I think that that is all plaguing our culture right now. So if you're hearing this right now and you're a person who struggles with anxiety and depression and mental health and you're isolating yourself, I just want to say to you, as Ed's mentioned, you need to reach out to safe people and safe places and be vulnerable. You got to get out of the screens and get into face-to-face I know it's scary. I know it takes courage. I, I, but I want you to hear us to say there's not there's nothing wrong with you to say I have an issue and I need help with this. Right. That doesn't make you weaker or, or less than or yep. there's something uh, unspiritual about you. We all have times in our lives where anxiety is real. I know that's really within my own family and me. Yeah, I feel like right? both of I, I'm thinking it's right. both of us behind that's the right. mics have yeah. struggled with this. Yeah, we've and, struggled with anxiety. We've had to work yep. through it, and we continue to. I, I've come to grips. I think I, it, I've always grown up thinking the weak go to counseling and yeah. the strong don't. Yep. I think it's inverted. I that's think right. I, I often think that the strong are the ones that recognize their weakness and need for counseling to invite others into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I think it's, it's a process that needs to be 
Um, I, uh, going even back to the proximate yeah. topic of like inviting people into those safe spaces, those sacred places of your heart, your soul, mm-hmm. like where you're wounded, where you're scared, where you're anxious. Like we need men and women in there with us to help give us different perspectives. So, yeah. And I think that too, like just knowing as Paul says, you know, we've talked about this at Riverbend, you know, weak is the new strong, according to what he says, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's when we're willing to give our weaknesses over to Jesus that he uses them as a strength. Yeah. And, but that requires letting people in as Paul did. You know, he let the church in Corinth know. We're going to see in Romans, you see in Romans 7 as well, he lets the church in Rome know about these battles and these struggles that he has. And he does that to elicit their support, but also I, th- I think to let them know, hey, this is part of the journey. Yeah. This is part of what we all experience. And it's a unique way in which Paul says this, that it, it, that it displays the power of God yeah. in, in our weaknesses. You know, I... I heard a quote once where um, I think it was a Charles Spurgeon quote where he says, um, I, I've embraced kissing the wave that throws against me, uh, throws me against the rock of ages. Mm. And it's like these waves, these storms mm. that throw it's you good. against the rock. Like oftentimes in our culture, it's like, Let's just calm the seas, all right? Like, I don't want any more waves. I don't want any yeah. more of this. This is, un- this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. But in some ways, if it throws us against the rock of ages, if it throws us into a deepening dependence upon God and his grace and his mercy and even displays his power in it, it's like, okay, instead of praying that the seas, the seas are going to calm, maybe I need to kiss this stinking wave that's throwing me against it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's just a different perspective. Um, that's a good hashtag. Hashtag kiss the hashtag wave. Hashtag kiss the wave. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah, really I know. Good. It's powerful. So I feel no, like in the really midst powerful. of my anxiety and depression, yeah. in some ways it's like, this is not an evil necessarily to say, I don't ever, I wish it would never have come. But in some ways it's like, actually this might be a beautiful thing that helps me trust even deeper in God's, yeah. in who I am in Jesus, you know? Yeah, that's right. Know. No, and I think that that's part of like learning to lead with a limp and knowing that when we lead with a limp, we're not leading out of um, a posture where God's not moving and working, but rather out of a place of, hey, he's working in the midst of what it is I'm facing, what I'm going through, yeah. and, and how how this is playing out. And I, I do agree with you. I, I think a lot of leaders, and I, I just want to speak to just for a moment, pastors who may be listening to this, for some reason, it's easier for us to tell people to go get counseling and maybe to seek medical attention than it is for us to do it. And I just want to say to you, please do it. Please do it because as the healthier you get, the better you are not only, but also the way that you're able to serve your family and the people in your life and community, you're able to serve them in just a different way. And as you're able to lead out of that, I think you find people are able to even not only understand, but then they can relate. Hey, Mm -hmm. this person isn't perfect. Yeah, because none of us are perfect. None of us don't have things that we're not working through, but it's about what we're going to do with them. Are we going to work them through? Are we going to kiss the wave? Are we going to pretend the wave's not there? Right. You know, are we going to like just kind of run from the waves versus like, Hey, you know what? This is what's going on. Well, Ed, I want to change gears with you a little bit for a moment, shift gears and ask you about being chaplain, Ed. I know you love that name, Chaplain Ed. Uh, we're starting a campaign. Uh, chaplain Ed, but just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the Iron Pigs and what, how do you got involved in, in this role and, and what's even your vision for the community here, the local community, with partnering with the Iron Pigs. Yeah. You know? So just share us a little bit about that. 
You know, it's funny when I came when God called me back to the Lehigh Valley. I remember walking around Lehigh's campus. I think before we even got anything started, and I thought. I'd seen some statistics on Lehigh and graduates from Lehigh and the influence they've had, they have in the communities around them and companies and whatnot. But <clears throat> I think I remember feeling impressed that a, an impression on my heart that God was going to use us to influence the influencers mm-hmm. at Lehigh University um, and, and the surrounding universities as well as they as they graduate and go out to the communities. But that we would be a godly influence to the influencers who are going around in our communities. And it's interesting. I never dreamt that it might take me into the, the, the sports arena. But and when this opportunity came out, I thought, wow, okay, that could be a, another unique way in which maybe God might use me by his grace to influence the influencers. Um, maybe it's in this community. Maybe it's probably going to be a lot of other communities as well. But yeah, the, the chaplain for the Phillies organization um, reached out to me because he was a part of crew um, as a college student. He's a pastor now in South Philly. Um, and he just wanted to see if I or anyone else that I knew would be interested in uh, potentially doing this. He, with, with crew, we're a, a, an interdenominational ministry, meaning any denomination can be a part of it. Yeah. We're not going to major on the minors. We're going to major on the majors, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. So in light of that perspective, I think he thought, well, this would be a good place to start with this unique ministry. It's through Baseball Chapel. Um, so I'm not an Iron Pigs employee but I'm with Baseball Chapel, and, and it's a beautiful ministry. It's uh, because I mean, the college campus is so transient. I mean, they're gone every four years. I never thought I'd be in something more transient, but I am. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, these men, I mean, they're up and down between AA, AAA, and then the big leagues, and then they're getting traded, and they're all, it's all over the place. So what Baseball Chapel has done is, is they've, uh, created a, they've created a system – not system. They've created a. They've created a format where every, every part of this organization, all the different baseball baseball chapels on every minor league and major league baseball team, and every one of us is going through the same content. So that, hmm. like for instance, right now we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, hmm. and last week uh, the pigs. I can't remember where they were at. I think they're in Charlotte. But the chaplain would have taken them through Matthew 7, and I'm taking the guys through Matthew 8 this week, and I'll take the Iron Pigs through it, and I'll take the visiting team as well. So there's just this – I can't think of the word. It's it's a synergy. There's a synergy there that that allows it because – yeah, because it's so transient that like, okay, this is – if a guy goes up to the Phillies, he's going to be going through Matthew 8 this week. You know, everyone's just kind of going through the same thing. So it's a beautiful ministry in light of the, the high transiency of it. Um, so we'll have chapel on Sundays uh, for home games. We just started uh, Bible studies the last few weeks, which has been beautiful, um, a lot of fun. And um, meeting with some of the guys one-on-one, which, again, provides just a unique vantage point to uh, influence some of the the faithful, available, teachable men on the team so that they would influence the men, the, uh, the other men on the team. Awesome. So, um, yeah, it was a random connection through crew that it just seemed like this would be a fun little yeah. project <clears throat> off to the side. And I grew up loving baseball and I kind of mm-hmm. got away from it. You know what it's like parenting. You start losing a bit of yourself. It's like, oh, man, I you do? forgot I love. Uh, <laughs> you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a joy. It's beautiful. Love it. Love it. But... 
Um, yeah, it's been years, but now I'm like, I'm getting back into baseball and it's just fun seeing some of these guys who I've been meeting with going up to the Phillies. It's like, man, that's cool. And it's fun. And it's, and it's cool to, to dream about how God might use these men to influence the communities. Yeah. So last night we had a faith night. Um, and I don't know. I think, I mean, the vision is still in formation for what this faith night's going to be. So the, the organization puts on a faith night and just invites lots of different churches from the area. And I think in some ways, my, my crew assignment this summer is church partnership. Mm. So in some ways, I wonder how these might merge to, to think about like building more relationships with the local churches in the area, inviting them out to this specific event and other events. I just think whether you're a thriving church or maybe a church that's you know, upstarting and it's a launch, you know what that's like. I mean, it can be hard. I think when we have opportunities to get everyone together and see what God's doing, not only in the community, but in men on the baseball team, I think it just kind of fuels that passion of like, yes, God is at work in this area. Mm. God is at work. I want to be, I want to, I want to get back to like being faithful, doing what God's called me to do with my unique context and setting. So I think it could be a huge pump of encouragement to the churches, to the community. Yeah. And honestly, just seeing from the from behind the scenes with these guys, I think it's hugely developmental for them. Yeah. One guy last night, he's just he's uncomfortable public speaking, but he wants to be that yeah. he wants to be that voice mm-hmm. that Jesus is Lord to him and it changes who he is. So yeah. he's trying to work through that and um they want to use their platforms, and I think they're just trying to figure it out. So in many ways, I feel like you know they've got a, a batting coach and an infield coach and a pitching coach. I think I'm the spiritual coach, and yeah, it's just so. kind of helping develop them, and, and, and hopefully that they might be in the major leagues and have a greater platform that they could mm-hmm. honor and glorify Jesus with where they're at. So, yeah, yeah I think, I think there's, a, there's a developmental side to the players, and they're growing and walking with the Lord. Uh, through these faith nights, I think there's a community element as well that can be encouraging. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But I'm excited about just the, the components of it and seeing how it plays out. Yeah, and I was going to say, too, as we talked uh, last week about this even further, uh, one of the things we, we were talking about, too, is just really saying, hey, how could the church come together for something like this? Not just one church, but many churches. Right. And how could we invite people who may not want anything to do yet with church, but would be willing to come to an Iron Pigs right. game and to interact with people's story of their own spiritual journey and what uh, that could entail. And so, I, man, I just really think it's exciting to watch how this opportunity has come up and just to watch you in, in that element, too. And it's just really, really cool. And, Ed, we just really uh, appreciate you, man. We appreciate your time today, and we just appreciate... Uh, the good work God's doing in you, through you and around you. It's its awesome to watch and, and to see and to be a part of and to collaborate together, whether it's stuff like this or Iron Pigs or, or on the college campuses uh, that you guys are involved in. But I wanted to ask you one last question. If people want to learn more about what you're doing or connect with you, what are the ways that they could do that? One of the first things you could do is go to lehighvalleycrew.com mm-hmm. and they will have uh, will have a an email to, to our ministry at Lehigh Valley crew and help if any parents or students have questions about the ministries, does it exist? Where is it going? What's happening on each campus? Feel free to email, uh, the Lehigh Valley crew email and we would get to that. You can look for us on Facebook too, as well. Lehigh Valley crew. Um, you guys are on Instagram too. Instagram, Twitter. You can also email me as well. Edward dot Hannah, H A N N A at CRU.org. 
And uh, I'd be happy to help get you connected, learn more about our ministry, not only with crew, but if you have questions about the Iron Pigs ministry as well, really Baseball Chapel, um, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Hey, Ed, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for being on the Vision for the Valley podcast. We appreciate, again, you and the good work that you're doing. Thanks, my brother. Thanks for listening to the Vision for the Valley podcast. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at visionforthevalleypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter under Vision for the Valley podcast. Thanks again for listening.